On Sunday, a man shouting Allahu Akbar ran his car into pedestrians in the French city of Dijon. You're listening to the news on RTHK. Bang. The impossible takes two days and miracles take three. Where you've got so many different departments and divisions. Shaping investors' expectations. Money for nothing. Good morning, hello and welcome to Money for Nothing. It's Tuesday 23rd of December. And it's not so bad. The days are now getting longer and it's only six months to midsummer. I'm Richard Harris with your business news. Crisis. What crisis? The S&P breaks its 50th all-time high of the year. Oil and gold decline and the ruble takes a breather. Chinese stocks rally in Hong Kong at last. Law enforcement is the theme of the day as French company Alstom accepts a six billion Hong Kong dollar fine to settle corruption charges. Our guests today are John Schofield, who's Director of Tempest Investment in Hong Kong, and he'll be talking about the markets in 2015. And Richard Stevenson of Cushman and Wakefield uh, will be talking about trends in the Asian office leasing market. And our man on the spot talking about markets today is Andrew Sullivan, financial commentator and sales trader, I might say to the gentry, Andrew. Good morning, how are you? Very well, thanks. Uh, Andrew, uh, 50 all-time highs in a year. What do you think about that? Well, I think the the general trend is that we're still seeing uh, growth in America. And actually, for American investors, that's very important. That means a lot of money isn't going overseas anymore. It's being retained at home. And this is slowly driving the market higher. And and, and with good reason. We are seeing steady, uh, albeit slow, growth out of the US. So it's not looking too bad. And yet we had a pretty big December, you know, a lot of turmoil there. How do you think we survived? Well, I, I think the key thing here is, yes, it, it, it is only slow growth. So there are a number of investors there that are still looking overseas, still looking for opportunities. Uh, and the uh, the general trend of the markets is still quite fearsome because, you know, you've got oil at an all-time low. You've got troubles in Europe. You've got slowing growth in China. You know, there's there's a lot to be worried about out there. But we're seeing the markets uh, end the year pretty strongly, though. Yes, but you know it's you know it's all on a relative basis, isn't it? At the end of the day, you know, low oil should be good for you know a lot of the economies that we're talking about. But at the same time, we've got this over- overriding threat about rising interest rates in the U.S., which is worrying people. Okay, let's keep your caution on hold while we look at the rest of the news. The S and P index on Wall Street just beat its half century of highs this year as tech shares stage a recovery. The index ended at forty basis points up at two thousand and seventy nine. Uh, we also saw risk indices like the VIX, which gathers data on market sentiment, fall, and that's fallen to fifteen point three. While gold gold also fell to one thousand one hundred and seventy three dollars an ounce. The long bonds staying pretty firm at uh, two sixteen. The market earlier on in the month feared that low oil meant low growth. It's now favouring the story that low oil might actually be a good thing. Caterpillar CEO Douglas Olberhelman uh, looked pretty pleased with himself as he made this comment. Certainly in the early part of 2015, and we're, we have a broad oil and gas business and a broad energy business. The vast majority of our energy business burns diesel fuel. So we'll see somewhere along the line the benefit of that. But in the meantime, we will feel the impact early in 2015 as drillers cut back and a lot of the exploration uh, declines, which we see and fully expect. But the rest of it should be positive on out into the into the future as the world gets this huge stimulus package of lower energy and, and works that through its system. So it should be net 
good for us over the next couple of years. Well, a villain of the piece, the Brent crude oil price slipped a uh, dollar to sixty dollars, uh, almost exactly. Uh, equities globally put on a happy face. The euro stocks of fifty blue chips was up half a percent to three thousand one hundred and fifty-five. And in Asia, Chinese stocks trading in Hong Kong had a longer way to jump, but the Hang Seng Chinese Enterprise Index, that's known as the HSCEI or the H Share Index, uh, their Chinese shares listed, listed in Hong Kong, that jumped over three percent yesterday to eleven thousand. 744. Uh, the Hang Seng rose as well at uh, 1.3% to 23,409. In fact, for once, the local indices led the Shanghai Composite Index, which only rose 0.6% to 3,127. And that's reversed a trend where Hong Kong has lagged the Shanghai market for the last few months. Um, Andrew, it's been a bit of a mystery that investors have flooded into Shanghai using borrowed money at a time the economy appears to be weakening. Yet, some of those same shares on our eight-share index are 10% cheaper. Why has that been? Well, I think the thing in China you've got to remember is the fact that the Chinese are trying to avoid the property market and trying to deflate the bubble that's occurred there. And it's, it's rather like we saw Taiwan probably about eight, nine years ago, where the government funds have certainly been supporting the market. Uh, and this is something that China wants to have happen. It wants to see this market recover. It's opened up the Hong Kong-Shanghai link uh, eventually. Um, and it, it wants to see people taking their money out of shadow banking, out of property, and put it back into the stock market. But this is all want. They don't really seem to be putting much effort into actually do, are they? Well, I don't think the government needs to. I mean, the thing you have to remember in China is the fact that, generally speaking, it's a very much retail-driven market, uh, apart from a few large funds from the government. And so the, 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 the temptation there is the fact that um, you know, people like making money, and property markets, you know, as we've seen from the recent property prices in China, are not going up. So you know, people are looking for alternative investments. The, the easy option was to put it into shadow banking. We, we've had a couple of defaults there. We've seen the, the large banks having to bail out some of their you know, uh, financial products. And, and generally speaking, China wants to put that money back into things that it can control. But it still hasn't uh, answered the question that Hong Kong has lagged so much and it's so cheap, relatively speaking. Well, it's always a relatively speaking, isn't it? And, and the, the problem, I think, is the fact that uh, a lot of the global money at the moment has seen a lot better returns from Japan with the Arbonomics there. And a lot of the more cautious money is staying at home in the U.S., Great. OK, well, thanks for that, Andrew. We'll uh, move on to a couple more stories. In Russia, former Minister Kudrin, an ally of President Putin, was unusually candid when he said that Russia faces a full-blown economic crisis. Kudrin, slated as Prime Minister Dmitry Medvedev's successor, also called for President Putin to improve relations with the West. Sanctions, he said, were responsible for up to 40% of the ruble's devaluation. The ruble continues to recover and is now at 55.8 to the US dollar, which is a 6% improvement on yesterday. But the crisis is not yet over. Carl Ricardo of Bloomberg runs through the options of the central bank. Is how much you ride out the uh, currency move. So you certainly want to stop dramatic swings like we saw just uh, a week or two back where we were uh, at basically 70 uh, 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 rubles to the dollar. Uh, now we've uh, uh, at least stopped the, uh, the initial move, uh, but you have to be very quick in normalizing interest rates because now uh, the, uh, in trying to prevent capital outflows, uh, the Russian central bank has slammed the brakes on the economy. Uh, and so if they leave that uh, policy in place for too long, they're going to cause a very severe recession. So no easy decisions there. 
Elsewhere, the law enforcement authorities were in force. Alstom, the French Railways Group, has agreed to pay a record 772 million US dollars or a 6 billion Hong Kong dollar fine to the US authorities to settle charges of bribing to get contracts in various developing countries. US Deputy Attorney General James Cole makes the announcement. They bribed government officials and falsified accounting records in connection with lucrative power and transportation projects for state-owned entities across the globe. They used bribes to secure contracts in Indonesia, Egypt, Saudi Arabia, and the Bahamas. Altogether, Alstom paid tens of millions of dollars in bribes to win $4 billion in projects and to secure approximately $300 million in profits for themselves. Closer to home, more collars are being felt. China is investigating a top aide to President Hu Jintao, uh, Li Jihua, on allegations of disciplinary violations, a euphemism for corruption. And the China Securities Regulatory Commission is probing companies and individuals involved in suspected market manipulation of shares of smaller companies. According to the CSRC, the practice involves groups of investors pumping up prices of certain shares in order to sell them at a profit. The action hit small share prices in China yesterday. The U.S. dollar continues to strengthen against the yen and is trading currently at one uh, is trading at the yen at 120 yen exactly. The euro is holding steady at 122 and the pound is last trading at 156 or 12 dollars and 10 cents Hong Kong dollars to the pound. Uh, Andrew, any view on currencies? This dollar move seems to be pretty strong at the end of the year. Well, I think you've had a lot of encouragement out of the FOMC, uh, indicating that you know, interest rates are going to rise at the middle of next year. And, and it's seen as a bit of a safe haven at the same time we've seen the Japanese, you know, hopefully and, and willfully, you know, deflating their, their own economy, uh, making the yen cheaper, making the exports better, you know, trying to encourage people to spend more. But ergonomics at the end of the day is, you know, facing this problem that although we've had a snap election and, you know, Abe is back there with a, with a new mandate, the mandate really hasn't changed, so he's still got difficult choices ahead. Are we talking currency warfare or is this just plain economics? Well, at the end of the day, it's always going to be about plain economics from each country, which does mean currency warfare because that's the, the one tool that each country has. Right, let's introduce John Schofield, who's Director of Tempest Investment, who's going to give us his outlook on the markets in 2015. John's a technical analysis, that is, he looks at charts and tries to predict where things are going from the shapes of the graphs. Have I got that right, John? Uh, yes, that's correct, Richard. Good morning to you. Well, tell us a little bit about technical analysis, just for a minute. Um, what we're trying to do, really, is make sense out of all the millions and uh, thousands of you know, trades that go through the markets uh, every day. <coughs> um, you know, we've got a huge number of data points there. Um, so you're looking really at lines, lines on a chart. So you'll take, say, the oil price, look at the lines on the chart and try and figure out from, yeah. from where the prices are going, where it's going to go in the future. Uh, yes, that's correct. I mean, the, uh, the facts are that most market price movement is, is random noise, um, 80 to 90 percent. Uh, according to the statistics. So what we're trying to do is strip out that noise and get to the underlying trends and, and cycles, which are represented by the, um, the, the balance of that, the 10 to 20% of data, which is actually uh, price movement in, uh, in, a, in one direction. Right, well, what are the tea leaves, the entrails, the charts mm. telling you about 2015 then? Uh, well, I think to start with, we're going to see more of the same, which is basically... Um, 
uh, a bull market in the US, uh, as, as you've been talking about this morning. This, is, uh, this has been an incredible uh, ongoing trend. And, um, you know, our rules are that the trend is your friend and, and we wait until there's clear evidence of coming to an end. We've just been through a turbulent patch. Um, but now the market's again making new highs. So that means that, um, you know, we've had a period of consolidation. Now we're ready to, to move up again. And um, I wouldn't well, be surprised. we've moved up a lot, John, already. Yes. Well, it's been very slow and steady. And, uh, you know, the behavioural characteristics of markets are, um, as investors gradually get more and more confident, the trend it will should accelerate. Um, and that's what I'm expecting to see. Uh, in the early part of uh, 2015. Now, you're talking in very general terms. Are you talking yeah. here about the US market or about some kind of global equity uh, index? Um, it's, this has been a very unusual bull market, and it's totally dominated by the US, as, as you rightly say, and particularly if you look at it in US dollar terms. Um, nearly every other market in the world is still... Uh, in dollar terms, well below its uh, the highs it reached before the GFC in 2007. Does that, does um, that mean we could see a rotation then into those that haven't done so well? I think selectively we will see that, but uh, I don't think um, I don't think you know it's not time to pull out of the US. It's more more time to sort of invest uh, in other markets, and there are three standout opportunities in Asia. Uh, less so in Europe. At least in the first quarter, uh, I don't expect to see much uh, from Europe. But uh, India, we've got a fantastic bull market going on there. And um, as you pointed out, we're beginning to see the start of what I expect to be a, a fully-fledged bull market in, in China. Well... But we've had 40, 45% this year already. Would it have gone far enough or are your uh, charts staying its Yeah, staying its well, if you look started? at the long-term chart, yeah, it sounds like a lot. Um, but if you look at the long-term chart of, um, well, say the eight shares index or the, or the Shanghai Composite, we're still really wallowing in a big trading range. Um, uh, as I say, way, well below uh, not only 2007 highs, but also the, um, the sort of interim high after the rally in 2010. Uh, so we still got a lot, and, and actually the market's just been in a big trading range. It's a very volatile market, of course. Uh, hence, you get these sort of uh, percentage moves that appear to be quite large. Now we think uh, we're all experts on China, of course, sitting in Hong mm. Kong. We've actually got uh, a, an analyst. In fact, Larry Hardman, Harding, who's vice chairman of Radius, a U.S. fund manager, was interviewed by Ira Melman, a Voice of America. Mm. Um, uh, listen to this and tell us what you think. I'm long-term bullish. I do think the volatility has been uh, pretty striking, and over the next 12 months uh, may likely continue to be a lot of ups and downs. But, you know, longer term, more than a year, I'm, uh, I'm really bullish on uh, Shanghai, Hong Kong, China, Asia. I mean, the, the whole works. What is causing this volatility? Just the newness of it or what? Uh, I think the newness is a factor. Uh, I think there have been a lot of divergent pieces of information that have uh, been going on. You know, the GDP has been rocky and coming down for China. Uh, there was a big rate cut, which, you know, pushed things up. I think um, folks can't necessarily get their arms around which direction China's going to be going. I think there's a lot of turbulence, obviously, uh, these days in the Hong Kong China space. So there's just a lot of different pieces of information, a lot of it going in different directions. I think what's interesting about the the China and Asia market is the U.S. It looks to be in a pretty significant uh, EDP growth area. Uh, I tend to think about China um, as, as almost a lagging indicator. So as the U.S., you know, whether it's housing starts or construction or different things like that, uh, as those are poised to emerge, I think 
China begins to sort of rev up its engine as a supplier of a lot of these different elements. And I think, you know, as the U.S. grows, China is likely to follow that growth in a reasonably significant way. So, you know, that that whole, you know, near-term versus longer-term element could be at play as well. The China economy, um, you know, again, for a number of years, it's, it's a supplier. It's a supply chain to a, you know, robust U.S. economy. So, you know, as the U.S. economy gets stronger, uh, China will follow that strength. And, and again, their, you know, their flywheel will, will begin to turn and rev up so that they can sort of, you know, support that growth and supply, um, you know, what's behind it. What do you tell your clients? Is it a good place to invest? Uh, yeah, I mean, volatility is interesting. Um, it, it's it's pretty white-knuckled and not for the faint-hearted, but in terms of, um, you know, ways to do well and make money, volatility can be great. If, uh, if, you, if you buy low and sell high and are able to figure out that whole puzzle, that, that's really favorable. So volatility can be wonderful, and I think there's an expectation that uh, significant volatility over the next 12 months. Funny, these guys love volatility with the markets going up and not quite so much when it's going down. Um, do you think it's interesting when you hear observers from, say, in the US or, or Europe getting so bullish on your home market, is that a good sign? Could we see a flood of money coming in? Uh, John? The, the interesting thing about the, this move, I, I totally agree with what he's saying about all these different cross-currents and, and various views. That, um, but the fact of the matter is that you know, Chinese chocks have become very cheap because we've been in this bear market for four or five years, effectively. Um, I think those cross-currents are starting to sort themselves out, and that's why we're seeing this quite powerful initial rally. Uh, and... and and the trigger is a, is a change of monetary policy. I mean, that's that's been the that's been the big thing that drives you know equity markets. The most important factor is is monetary policy or the direction of monetary policy. And we're starting to see uh, obviously rate cuts. So that period of, um, of trying to you know uh, pr- uh, control the bubble in China is is coming to an end. So. Um, it's not surprising we're starting to see uh, stocks uh, stocks move out. What do you think, Andrew, uh, <coughs> this um, idea of rotation? I mean, if, if foreign investors are starting to look at our own market, is that likely to lead to a flood of cash coming here? Well, I think at the moment, I mean, Hong Kong always has the benefit, the fact that it's, you know, it's, it's a fixed <coughs> link with the US dollar, so there's no currency risk there, which always gives it an advantage uh, over maybe China or our other markets. But I think, you know, in all that we're saying here and the market's hitting highs, I think we also have to remember that, you know, investors are very cautious at the end of the day. A lot of people really <coughs> don't believe this. And certainly watching the shorts in the markets where Hong Kong shorts maybe a year, a year and a half ago were running daily at around 5 5.5%. Currently they're running at 10%. And, and you have, you know, big utility companies being heavily shorted on the basis that, you know, the recent run-up is not believed. So we could actually get some short covering and the market pushed up even more. Well, that's been, that's been the problem this year. I think a lot of these short players have not believed the fundamentals that they're, they're hearing about and hence have been short. And they've squeezed almost on a daily basis, which is driving these markets higher. Uh, but at the same time, those short players still remain convinced that they're right. And so they re-short and have to be squeezed the next day. John, um, yes. it, it, 
In the last couple of minutes, let's uh, move to commodities, because I know commodities mm. always work well on charts. Uh, what's your view on that, um, on that complex? Uh, yes, a, it's a bear market, just so we've got a sort of global equity bull market. We've got, uh, I think, a global you know, commodity, at least the industrial commodity space, what we're talking about. Uh, so nearly we've seen this big collapse in oil, <clears throat> which was well foreshadowed by the charts. You know, oil, crude oil had been in a... A massive trading range for um, for four or five years, between uh, ninety and, and one hundred and ten dollars. I hope uh, you were sure. Suddenly, it, it, suddenly it collapsed. Or eat your own cooking, John. Yeah. Um, gold, I think, is interesting. That's resisted the trend so far, but I um, uh, I'm very suspicious about the recent gold rally. I think the long term chart again is clearly in a downtrend. So I think we're going to see. Um, Gold is interesting. It hasn't really moved during this period of, right. of concern. Um, and yet it's normally a risk indicator. So that would tend mm. to uh, indicate that maybe some of the uh, interest is coming out of yeah, it. Yeah, I think sometimes it is, sometimes it isn't. Um, <clears throat> it's basically a currency, the, the bottom line. I think the reason it hasn't fallen as, as, uh, as dramatically as expected is because it's the only alternative... If you're a Russian and you want to get out of the ruble, you don't necessarily want to put all your eggs into the U.S. basket. So um, the euro looks horrible. Uh, the yen obviously is being being trashed. Um, Australian dollars are in a downtrend also because of weak commodity prices and so on and so forth. So it's been the only sort of viable alternative to the U.S. dollar in the short term. So next year we're going to mm. really be looking for specific ideas. It, it uh, looks as uh, what you're saying. John, um, I must say thank you very much for coming in just before Christmas. Mm. We do appreciate it. And um, that's John Schofield, who's director of Tempest Investment. And have a very good Christmas. Thank you. Same to you. policies formulated. How should the government allocate its resources in the budget? Boost the economy. Meet housing needs. Care for the elderly. Or should we focus on education, health care, and the environment? Make your voice heard. Share your views on the Policy Address and Budget Consultation website at www.policyaddress.gov.hk or call our hotline 2810-3768. Okay, well, this part of the show, we have Richard Stevenson, Director of Tenant Advisory Group at Cushman and Wakefield. Good morning, Richard. Morning, Richard. Good. Thanks for coming in. Um, high prices for office rentals in Hong Kong are still causing headaches for, for people. Um, is that something that's continuing? And where do you see the market going next year? Yeah, it's a good question, Richard. I think it's important to start with a few uh, facts and figures to put it into context. Um, Hong Kong office market provides approximately 80 million square foot of commercial office space. Um, most of that concentrated in Central, which provides 23 million square foot, and now Kowloon East, which is the second largest office um, uh, district with about 13 million square foot. <laughs> Vacancy um, across the whole of Hong Kong is around 5% at present. Now, to put that into perspective with more mature markets, i.e. New York and London, the 10-year vacancy average there is around 65 to 7.5%, therefore making Hong Kong a very landlord-friendly market. Um, over the, now, looking at the supply-demand fundamentals, which obviously is um, the driver of rents, over the past five years, there's been approximately 1.1 million per square foot per annum of new supply. 
This is against a backdrop of 1.4 million square foot of average net take-up of tenants, therefore a 0.3-300,000 square foot deficit each year for the last five years. Now, moving forward over the next five years, we anticipate approximately 14 million square foot of new supply across Hong Kong. Now, that's spread over around 38 buildings. Obviously, looking at the historic take-up averages, this is a positive. Uh, however, so, however, not. Uh, but the recent uh, issues, say, with Hong Kong and the Occupy Central issue, that hasn't affected the office market at all? Um, I don't think it has. I think it's affected sentiment very slightly. Uh, we had a few inquiries from uh, core CBD occupiers looking for um, serviced office space to um, you know, make sure staff can get to work slightly, um, you know, slightly more conveniently on time, you know, east of the island and in Kowloon. Um, but for the most part, no. <laughs> I think that, you know, obviously given it wasn't great, but only lasted six, seven weeks and it was a slight dampener, but it, no, it hasn't affected the uh, core fundamentals. What do you say to small businesses who just can't find the kind of property you need to start in? Because pretty well all of what you're talking about is prime Mm. I think um, small businesses, firstly, do they need to be in prime CBD? The minute you move in an eastward direction across Hong Kong, uh, Hong Kong Island, then going across to Kowloon, rents obviously drop dramatically. Um, you know, if you can be in Kowloon East, for example, you're looking at a 50% uh, rental delta or discount to central. I would also say to small businesses starting out, you should consider serviced office accommodation, not tying yourself into an institutional three-year lease, i.e. keep flexibility. Okay, well, thanks very much, Richard. Uh, That's all we have time for at the moment, but I appreciate you coming in so close to Christmas, and uh, I wish you a very good Christmas. That's Richard Stevenson, Director of Tenant Advisory Group at Cushman and Wakefield. Uh, Just uh, a little bit of time for the final figures of the open markets. Australia is down a touch at 5,398, and uh, Seoul is also down a fraction, 1,940. Andrew, any thoughts for us before we go into Christmas? Well, I think we get a lot of data out of the US tonight, and interestingly, we get a lot of data out of Japan on Christmas Day for those that uh, don't like Turkey. So it's still, you know, although it's very quiet because of the uh, Christmas holidays, there's still a lot of data coming out there, and, and people will be reacting to that as it comes out. Good. Well, I like Turkey, and I'll be sampling it uh, fully. Thanks very much for coming in, Andrew. I wish you a Merry Christmas, too. And to our listeners, uh, that's Tuesday's Money for Nothing, and uh, hopefully we'll see you tomorrow, too. Uh, Just to finish off with the weather, the winter monsoon is affecting South China coast and is moderating gradually. Uh, The weather forecast today is mainly cloudy, cool in the morning, and sunny intervals in the afternoon with a maximum temperature of around 17 degrees, moderate northeasterly winds. The outlook is sunny periods tomorrow and cloudy with some rain, unfortunately, during the Christmas holidays. At the Hong Kong Observatory, the temperature was 15 degrees C and the relative humidity was 60%. Uh, and if any of you have any comments for money for nothing, please look at our, our Facebook. It's RTHK Radio 3. That's um, money for nothing. And we'd love to hear your comments and we'll certainly try and reply to some of your questions as well. Thanks for listening to us. Read by Samantha Butler. Experts say North Korea is experiencing an almost unprecedented internet outage, with some saying its online access is totally down. The reports come after Washington said it would launch a proportional response to a cyber attack on Sony Pictures, the US company that made a comedy film about the North Korean leader Kim Jong-un. The BBC's Barbara Pletusher reports. North Korea's network failure appears to be its worst in years. One computer expert said the country's online access was totally down. 
The cause isn't clear, possibly technical problems, or maybe U.S. cyber retaliation for the hacking of Sony Pictures. The White House and State Department aren't commenting. North Korea was also on the agenda at the UN, where for the first time the Security Council went beyond its usual discussion of North Korea's nuclear program to include its bleak human rights record. A UN report earlier in the year detailed widespread and systematic abuses which it said constituted crimes against humanity. President François Hollande has urged French people not to panic after three attacks on police and pedestrians in as many days. Mr Hollande was speaking after a man in a van drove into a crowded Christmas market in the western city of Nantes, injuring 10 people. From Paris, the BBC's Hugh Schofield reports. The Nord chief prosecutor denied reports that the man shouted Allahu Akbar, as the protagonists in the weekend's two incidents did. And the official line is that this is not an act of terrorism, but an isolated event. However, as this is now the third potentially deadly attack in as many days in France, questions will be asked whether there's a copycat effect underway. The Prime Minister, Manuel Valls, is to chair a special cabinet meeting in the morning to discuss possible measures. The funeral of the Australian Tory Johnson, one of the victims of last week's siege in central Sydney, is getting underway in a church just a short distance from where he died. 